You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. everyone and welcome to another edition of Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen and today we're welcoming back Dr. Bashal Giwali to the program. Listeners may recall Dr. Giwali joined us a few weeks back to chat about a recent study called An Analysis of Contemporary Oncology Randomized Clinical Trials from Low and Middle Income versus High Income Countries, published in the latest virtual edition of JAMA Oncology, a study led by Dr. Christopher Booth and a study in which Dr. Giwali also collaborated. And today we have the great pleasure of welcoming Dr. Bashal Giwali back to the studio. He's an assistant professor, Department of Public Health Sciences, and a clinical fellow in the Department of Oncology here at Queen's. And he's here to talk about his new research comparing cancer drugs, clinical benefits, and reimbursement rates in Canada and the U.S., published on Monday, February 22nd, in the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine. Welcome back, Bashal. Thank you very much, Dinah. It's a pleasure to be back. Again. It's it's going to be all Bashal all the time, by the but with the rates that you're publishing these days. <laughs> no, I have been I have been very lucky in in, in recent uh, months. So you uh, have been very yeah. busy. Two really big studies in two very prestigious uh, journals just in the last couple of months. So congratulations to you and uh, job well done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. It's it's uh, like. And just to be clear, it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> I have been very lucky in the last few all months. All right. So, Michelle, yeah. let's uh, let's hear a little bit about the article that you uh, that you've just published. But before jumping into it, can you remind us a little bit about your research and your clinical practice here at Queen's University? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, in my clinical practice, I see patients with solid tumors. Uh, I'm a clinical fellow in medical oncology. Uh, so oncology is my bread and butter. Uh, but uh, on my research side, as an academician, uh, I do research work related to global oncology and cancer mm-hmm. policy. Global oncology is cancer care and research in low and middle income countries and how we can uh, ensure that patients all over the world, irrespective of where they live, can have access to uh, these fundamental treatments that improve the outcomes for patients Mm -hmm. with cancer. Cancer policy is also uh, related to that, but cancer policy in a a general sense, uh, not only including low income countries, but also high income countries like Canada and and, and United States. Uh, Cancer policy is fundamental uh, philosophy about, you know, what is the level of evidence we expect from cancer drugs uh, before recommending it to the mm-hmm. patients, when when is the cancer drug uh, deemed to be good enough uh, for reimbursement in a public health insurance system like Canada, uh, and what happens after approval? Uh, do all patients who are eligible to get those drugs actually get it? Uh, what are the side effects that we see after approval of the cancer drugs? And you know, in some cases, maybe we have to rescind the approval because the drug did not perform as well uh, when used in real world patients as compared to what it showed in clinical mm-hmm. trials. So this this holistic approach about uh, this this thinking about cancer drugs and and um, making a policy recommendation about when uh, when to approve versus when not to approve a cancer drugs, uh, when to decide that 
the benefit from the cancer drugs are good enough for public reimbursement in a public health insurance system versus uh, drugs that uh, may be okay, but maybe not good enough to be reimbursed uh, uh, in a public health, ins health insurance system. And uh, interestingly, you know, comparing different healthcare systems, like what happens in the United States versus what happens in Canada, what happens in the UK, Australia, uh, and in low and middle income countries. So making those distinctions to inform policy across the world, that is another important aspect of uh, the academic work mm -hmm. that I do. And interestingly, these two uh, conversations with you, the last time was more related to global oncology, one major domain of my work. And today it's going to be about cancer policy, my, my second big domain. Amazing. Of the and uh, I'm so happy to have the opportunity to learn from you and share with our listeners again on these uh, critical uh, uh, research studies that you've been engaged in. So thank you very much again for giving us some of your time uh, because really it does affect us all. So, mm -hmm. okay. So let's break it down a little bit uh, in simple terms, if we can, Bashal, like what is your current article? What is it called? And what do you actually okay. study? Okay. So just to clarify, uh, uh, there was a there was a very interesting and important coincidence in that on the same issue of JAMA internal medicine, I had two papers published simultaneously. Mm -hmm. uh, one I had published with my colleagues from United Kingdom, looking at uh, what happens to cancer drugs that had received accelerated approval in the US mm -hmm. system. So do these cancer drugs also get approved in the United Kingdom? So that is one dimension of, uh, th that was one paper that I published uh, the same day. But the other paper that we are going to discuss today is about um, the Canadian system in which I was the uh, lead author, the, the senior and corresponding mm -hmm. author. Uh, this was titled as Evaluation of the Clinical Benefit of Cancer Drugs Submitted for Reimbursement Recommendation Decisions in Canada. Uh, so as the, yeah, the, the title is a little verbose, but what <laughs> this paper is actually about is in the Canadian system, uh, we have a public health insurance system covering for mm -hmm. cancer drugs. So uh, what happens, like, uh, just, just to give a bit of background, uh, if uh, a company wants their cancer drug in the Canadian market, uh, it has to undergo through several steps. The first would be to get approval from Health Canada. That is the first step. Uh, so first, Health Canada has to say, okay, this, uh, this drug can be used in Canada. After that, uh, it has to go through the CADAT system. CADAT is called uh, Canadian Agency for Drug and Technology mm -hmm. in Health. So it is the agency that uh, appraises the clinical evidence of um, the drugs. So CADAT has a special unit to focus on cancer drugs only. It's called the PCODER, Pan-Canadian Oncology Drug okay. Review. So this, this PCODER is uh, a special unit of CADAT that looks at the, uh, that looks at different frameworks before making a decision on whether or not this drug should be uh, publicly covered under the health insurance system. Uh, so PCODER looks at the level of clinical evidence of the mm -hmm. cancer drugs, the magnitude of clinical benefit, uh, patient values, adoption feasibility, cost effectiveness. Uh, so PCODA considers all these issues into making a recommendation, uh, into making a reimbursement recommendation. So the fundamental question is, should this drug be reimbursed or not in Canada? 
so there is just a caveat. Um, uh, Quebec has a different system, and I'm also new to Canada, so I'm I'm learning all these things <laughs> together. Uh, uh, so Quebec has a different system. So our study does not cover Quebec. So this is for the rest okay. of the Canada. Um, and the interesting thing is they make a they make a recommendation for reimbursement or uh, not for reimbursement. So this we categorize in our paper as positive recommendation versus negative recommendation. Uh, but in fact, the positive recommendation can also be of two types. One is like straightforward recommendation. The, the committee says that this drug is recommended for reimbursement mm -hmm. in Canada. And the other is called conditional recommendation. The conditional recommendation is this drug should be covered, but the provinces should maybe negotiate prices. It looks a little too expensive. Okay. It, uh, but this drug, we recommend it for reimbursement, but uh, you know, the uh, conditional upon cost effectiveness or conditional upon something else. Uh, conditional recommendations are usually uh, conditional upon cost effectiveness because the drugs are a little too expensive. So this is how the Canadian system works apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so in this research, what we did was we looked at all the submissions the companies made to this committee for having a reimbursement recommendation for their drug. Uh, and we looked at all these uh, submissions for solid tumors, adult solid tumors. We did not look at cancer drugs for children or uh, drugs for leukemia or other hematological malignancies. We looked at solid tumors like lung cancer, breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, and so on. Uh, and our intention were uh, uh, A, to see what percent of these submissions actually get a positive mm -hmm. decision and what percent get a negative decision. Uh, and B, to compare the quality of evidence and level of clinical benefit for the drugs that end up getting positive decision versus that the drugs that end up getting a negative decision. So are drugs that are getting a positive decision for, for reimbursement recommendation, are they actually better than the drugs that got, uh, got negative decision? Or, uh, you know, what, what, what factors into play? Uh, and more generally, we have known from previous studies about the quality of evidence and the level of clinical benefit for cancer drugs that are approved in the United States. So in a general sense, we wanted to see if we are doing a better job uh, in terms of you know filtering out low quality, low value mm -hmm. cancer drugs. Because an ideal system, if it is a perfect system, uh, the PCODER or the CADETH system, if it is a perfect system, what we would expect to see is we'd have all the high value drugs receive a positive recommendation and all the low value drugs that have lower quality of evidence and, and lower level of clinical benefit to receive a negative recommendation. So that ultimately why this study matters to the patient or to the public is we want to be sure that uh, if there is a cancer drug that has been, um, that has received public uh, reimbursement decision in Canada and is publicly available, then the patient should be confident that, okay, this has been properly vetted. This drug has high quality of evidence. This drug provides substantial magnitude of benefit for me. And the benefits will outweigh the side effects and, and, and all the toxicities. Um, so I should feel confident about receiving mm -hmm. this drug. And if there is a drug that has not received, uh, that has received negative recommendation, then probably that was not a drug that was worth having. So uh, an ideal system, an ideal filter, uh, an ideal system would act as a filter to filter out all the low value cancer drugs and get all the high value and, and good quality cancer drugs uh, in the market. So that was our intention. Um, 
Okay, so I'm kind of curious then for if we're looking at it from the patient perspective, uh, as somebody who has mm -hmm. not uh, been directly uh, mm -hmm. impacted or is aware of mm -hmm. uh, what drugs are uh, publicly funded and which ones I would have to mm -hmm. pay for or my insurance company might pay for, mm -hmm. do patient do cancer patients have a choice in the medication that they're taking, whether they want the ones that are recommended for reimbursement or if there are other ones that aren't recommended for reimbursement, but might be more effective and cost more. What's happening here in terms of access to the medication for patients themselves? Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, there, there are a couple of things here. One is that uh, that's why we have this system uh, in which uh, like, all of us can't evaluate all of these drugs on right. our own, right? That's why we have a system and that's why we have to trust on the system that the, that whatever drugs the system is uh, making us available are really good yes. quality drugs. And whatever the drugs that the system is not making available are probably not worth having those drugs right. in the first place. And, that's, and that was the purpose of doing this study to, to evaluate how good uh, our filter right. is. In, in, in filtering in good quality drugs and filtering out low quality drugs. Uh, we know that like, you know, none of these systems are perfect. Uh, um, uh, like there are, if, if, you, if we look at the literature, then there are, there are complaints about very lenient filter like in the United States that does not take cost effectiveness or the magnitude of clinical benefit into, into account and just approves every drug that reaches a statistical significance. Um, but there are, there are various uh, concerns about such mm -hmm. a system. Uh, on the other hand, we also look at systems like uh, United Kingdom where uh, some people find it a little too stringent and say that, okay, uh, patients are not having access to even, even uh, some meaningful drugs. Uh, so no system is mm -hmm. perfect. So uh, we, but uh, like how is our Canadian system? So we wanted to wanted to take a stab on that, and we wanted to see how, how mm -hmm. we are doing. Now, uh, just to tease it out a little further, too, in terms mm -hmm. of what we mean by uh, like the meaningful impact or meaningful effectiveness of mm -hmm. the drugs in question, just even mm -hmm. from a layperson's perspective, we we know that cancer mm -hmm. is incurable. So, what do you mean by effective medicine? What would constitute mm -hmm. an effective cancer medication? in terms of its proven track record to treat cancer if it can't cure it? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And, and that's one of the questions that we ask in our paper. Um, so, you know, patients with cancer, they fundamentally take cancer drug with an expectation that taking that cancer drug will help them have a longer okay. life or a better quality of life. Ideally, mm -hmm. both. Ideally, the cancer drugs should do both. The, the cancer drugs should help them live longer with a better quality of life. But if, if it doesn't do both, at least it should be doing one mm -hmm. of them, right? Uh, because these cancer drugs, they come with toxicity and they come with substantial uh, financial costs. Um, so the patient who is, uh, who is you know, uh, taking these cancer drugs, they would expect at least to live longer than if they had not mm -hmm. taken the drug and to feel better than if they have not taken the drug. Otherwise, what's the, what's, the, what's the purpose in taking the drug? So that's how we define clinical benefit, improvement in overall mm -hmm. survival or improving quality of life. Uh, but the problem is that uh, most of the cancer drugs, they um, are not approved on the basis of quality of life. M measuring quality of life is a little messy and there are very few examples of, 
a drug being approved only because it improves quality of life uh, without improving survival. So usually when we are talking about clinical benefit, we are talking about overall survival, improving survival of the patient. Um, okay. So, yeah. So in terms of what was uh, what is happening in, in, in our Canadian system, so what we found was, uh, first, uh, we looked at, you know, what percent of these drugs actually get a positive uh, uh, a recommendation from, from the CADAT. Uh, so we found that actually 75% of them receive a positive recommendation. So that was, that was quite uh, mm -hmm. impressive because uh, my, my expectation before doing this research was that maybe a little less percent of the, of the cancer drugs actually get uh, a positive uh, decision. But I was, I was pleased to see that 75% of them actually receive a positive decision. Uh, and 25% of them receive negative decision. 25% of them are said, okay, these drugs are not worth covering uh, in the public uh, insurance system, but 75% of them, they receive a positive decision. Uh, however, 93% of those that received positive decision were actually conditional. So that means that most of the cancer drugs are, are really expensive. So Kareth is saying, okay, these are worth covering, but conditional upon improving cost effectiveness. So uh, basically they are saying that you need to, uh, the provinces need to bargain with uh, the industry and ask for a lower price. And if a lower price uh, is available, then, uh, you know, it should be covered. Uh, so, yeah, usually conditional decisions are, are positive decisions. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was one of the interesting findings. And I also think that... Uh, uh, that high percentage about getting 75% of the drugs getting positive decision is also uh, in part because uh, the Canadian system takes cost effectiveness, clinical benefit, level of evidence, everything uh, patient uh, preferences, adoption feasibility, everything into account. Uh, so I think some of the like really bad drugs that we see getting approved in, in um, like uh, in the United States, I think the company does not even submit them for uh, decision in, in the Canadian system because they, they probably don't believe that it's going to get uh, uh, a positive decision anyway. So I think when they submit these uh, submissions to Kenneth, the company feels confident that, okay, our, our drug is good enough uh, to receive a positive decision from Canada and therefore they submit it. So, you know, very, very low quality, very poor cancer drugs. I think they are not even submitted okay. to Canada. Um, so that is one explanation why, uh, you know, almost 75%, almost three quarters of all submissions get positive decision here. So what is it that drew you to, uh, to the study in the first place? Uh, two things. One is that uh, we believe that our, our Canadian filter um, is is helping filter out low quality cancer drugs, low value cancer yeah. drugs, uh, because in in like I have done a lot of research related to the US FDA as well, and in the United States, you know, if a drug achieves statistical significance, a p value of less than zero point zero five, any drug gets approved there. There is no question about the margin of clinical benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Canada, it matters whether or not to reimburse the drug. It matters how much. Uh, margin of clinical benefit is there, whether it is cost effective or not, what is the quality of evidence. Mm -hmm. So A, we believe that our filter is working, like having a filter is better than having no filter at all. Uh, so we wanted to actually have data to prove that, uh, that having a filter is, 
is good mm-hmm. uh, than than not having any filter at all. And B, we wanted to actually see how good our filter is. We know that, uh, like we, we assume that having a filter is better, but how good our filter is? Is it a perfect filter? Is it a porous filter that allows uh, many low quality cancer drugs to pass through, or is it um, um, is it a perfect filter? So we wanted to we wanted to evaluate that. Okay, so before we talk about your findings, can you talk about mm-hmm. the process? So many of mm-hmm. our listeners, of course, are non-clinicians. We don't spend our days mm-hmm. in labs. What does that study actually look like? How did you actually undertake the the research? Uh, yeah, so the good thing is that uh, most of the documents related to do this study are publicly available. The Kenneth makes all its decisions and its whole decision process publicly available for anybody who's interested in that in the in, in Kadath website. All these documents are publicly available. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to give, uh, so I, actually I want, to, I want to give a couple of background about how this study started. Okay. Uh, I, I have done a lot of research related to the US FDA system and I am still new to Canada. I have moved here only two years ago and I was trying to trying to see like I know what's happening in the US. I was trying to see what happens in Canada. And I wanted to do this type of research. And I just uh, tweeted out one day about, is there a good resource for, for looking at uh, drugs that have been uh, approved or not approved by Canada? And uh, Daniel Mayers, uh, the first author of this study, uh, he's an uh, internal medicine resident in the University of Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he... And uh, he reached out to me saying that he was also trying to work on something similar. And he actually already was compiling a data set of, uh, of, of this drug. So exactly the data set that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christina Genes uh, is from University of British Columbia, who is our second author in the paper. Uh, and uh, uh, Tim Chisamo, he's a statistician and, and the thought of, author of our paper. Uh, so we are four authors in this paper and it's uh, it's really a great teamwork. Uh, uh, we virtually, we, we, we got together and, and we tried to brainstorm uh, how to approach these questions that we are having and uh, how to gather all the data set and what are the extra information that we'll need. Um, so like, I can't praise my co-authors enough. Uh, they have done really a great job and uh, and I think uh, it's it's really proud that uh, we started with a tweet, and a year later we have a JAMA Internal Medicine paper, uh, and hopefully like a very important uh, policy paper for Canadian cancer drug policy, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's a group of very young people who are doing this work, like Daniel Mayers, he's a um, internal medicine resident. Uh, Christina C. Uh, is an MPH in uh, University of British Columbia, uh, and team. He is from Ontario, uh, and and me, uh, a junior faculty at Queens. Uh, so, I think, uh, yeah, I, I really feel proud about this uh, teamwork and how we got together and and were able to do this. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question in detail. Uh, we looked at all the submissions for solid tumors that mm-hmm. were submitted to Kadath since the inception of Kadath until yeah until, until February 2020, 
Um, so we had 104 submissions. And so we looked at those 104 submissions and we looked at uh, level of uh, evidence. That is, uh, what was the phase of the clinical trial? Was it a randomized trial? Uh, so the quality of evidence. And second, we looked at the magnitude of clinical benefit. Uh, what was the primary endpoint of the trial? Uh, was it overall survival or a surrogate endpoint? And how, how much of clinical benefit did we see? Um, in terms mm -hmm. of difference in median overall survival, like by how much did the survival increase? And, uh, and there is also a tool called the SMO magnitude of clinical benefit score, which, is, which, which gives a score from one to five for the clinical trials. And any score of four, four and five are considered substantial clinical benefit. And from one to three, they are considered not to have substantial clinical benefit or, or low level of clinical benefit, low to moderate. Uh, so we looked at whether these drugs achieved on that scale, high uh, or substantial level of clinical benefit. And we try to compare those uh, for drugs that receive positive decision versus drugs that receive negative decision. Um, yeah, so that's how we went about it. So can you give us a, a few hints as to what some of the findings are mm -hmm. that uh, your readers in the journal are going to learn about? Uh, yeah, definitely. So. As I briefly mentioned earlier, one was that we found of those 104 submissions, 75% they received yes and 25% received mm -hmm. no negative decision. And those that received a positive decision, 93% of them were conditional upon cost mm -hmm. effectiveness. Uh, and the first, like uh, I had done a, a tweet thread about this paper and I tried to divide it into like like uh, you know uh, good news versus room mm -hmm. for improvement so first let's talk about the good news like how our system is doing a great work so our system seems to be a very good filter in that uh, we saw that uh, nine, 92 percent of drugs that received a positive decision uh, had a randomized controlled trial, which is a high quality mm -hmm. evidence uh, um, versus drugs that received a negative decision. Only 58% of them were randomized controlled trials. So uh, nearly 42% of them were not randomized trials uh, that received a negative decision. Uh, and similarly, 92% of the drugs that received a positive decision were based on phase three trials which is again, a very high quality uh, mm -hmm. evidence. And, 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 and these were statistically significant between drugs that receive positive decision versus uh, negative decision. Also with regards to the choice of primary endpoint, 32% uh, uh, of the drugs that receive positive decision had overall survival as the primary endpoint. Uh, that means they, they were targeted mm -hmm. to show improvement in, in patients' longevity, uh, whereas uh, in case of uh, drugs that received a negative decision, only 23% of them had overall survival at the primary endpoint. Uh, and most of the drugs that had the primary endpoint of response rate. So this means just the drug so that the, uh, the tumor just shrinked by a little, uh, by, by at least 30% or more, but uh, did not improve survival or did not improve what patients felt. Uh, how, how good the patients felt. It just shrank the tumor size. So there was a substantial uh, 
there was a significant difference between uh, drugs that receive positive decision versus negative in that uh, drugs that had shown only tumor shrinkage but did not show improving survival or improving quality of life, they were more likely to receive negative decision than to receive a positive decision. Uh, and that is about the uh, uh, and 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 other good news in terms of uh, quality of evidence is that drugs that received positive decision uh, they were more likely to have data on on most important uh, markers like overall survival progression for survival. These drugs had that information versus drugs that received a negative decision and. With regards to uh, the level of clinical benefit, uh, first using that tool that I previously discussed, there was a significant difference between drugs that receive positive decision versus negative decision in terms of uh, substantial clinical benefit. So 62% of the cancer drugs that receive positive decision had substantial clinical benefit versus only 19% of the cancer drugs that uh, received a negative decision. So, so these are actually good news, uh, showing that our filter is working well uh, in that um, drugs that we are giving okay, they are having higher quality of, higher level of uh, evidence, they are uh, improving clinical benefit more substantially than drugs that we are saying no for. Uh, uh, but, uh, but this does not mean that our filter is perfect. There are, there, we found several rooms for improvement. First is that, uh, you know, even for those drugs that we are saying okay for, more of like a majority of them, 54% of them, they were measuring delay in progression rather than measuring how long the patient lives. So they are still not measuring, uh, like only 32% of them were measuring how long the patient lives, overall survival, but nearly 54% of them were measuring how uh how long will the disease uh, progression be delayed? So sometimes delay in disease progression does not necessarily translate to improvement in survival or improvement in how the patient feels. It just means that your scan results got delayed by two months, uh, which, which, which uh, if it does not translate to improvement in survival, does not matter to the patients. Uh, and the other room for improvement we found was 40% uh, of the cancer drugs that were, that were recommended for reimbursement in Canada, they did not have any evidence of improving survival. So 40% of the cancer drugs, despite ha we having a good filter system, 40% of um, these drugs that received an okay decision, they had no evidence that they were improving survival for our patients. And when they did improve survival, by how much did they, did they improve? We found that the median was only 3.7 months. So it's not like our drugs are improving survival mm -hmm. by a year or six months. It's on a um, median is only 3.7 months, uh, which is not nothing, but okay. which is not like great. So we have to, we have to, we have to right. remember that. 60% of the drugs that do not even have any evidence of improving survival. So for only those 40% that do show improvement in survival, the improvement in survival is only 3.7 months, less than four months. Uh, but one, one uh, example of uh, 
Yeah, I forgot to mention this earlier. One example of a good uh, filter system that we have in Canada is that uh, those 25% drugs that received negative recommendation from us, they have all been approved in the US. So there is, there is no example mm -hmm. of a cancer drug that was rejected by US, but got an approval in Canada. But all the cancer drugs that we rejected in Canada have been approved by the US. So, okay. yeah, that, that, was, that was quite interesting to us. Interesting, indeed, indeed. And so, no, now, I mean, uh, just sorry, to put ahead. into context, we also compared these findings, like I, 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 I uh, just spoke out a lot of percentages and numbers that uh, is very difficult to, uh, you know, contextualize. So we, we also looked at uh, uh, like the same numbers that were reported for United States uh, previously in, in, in different publications. And we tried to compare okay. that with what we found for Canada. And I think uh, that uh, gives us, um, you know, some sort of uh, easily understandable metric to make uh, an assessment about uh, our Canadian filter. So, for example, mm -hmm. uh, just to give an example, uh, in in our Canadian system, I mentioned that ninety two percent of the drugs that we said okay were based on randomized trial design. Uh, previously, it was reported in for the United States that it was 75%. Like 75% of the drugs that got approved were on the basis of randomized design in the US. For us, for us, it was 92%. Mm -hmm. And of those drugs that have been uh, approved by the United States, only 30% of them were uh, on the basis of improving survival. Uh, in, the, in our system, among the 78 drugs that got positive uh, decision, 39, that is 50% of them had improved. Uh, survival. 35% um, of the drugs uh, that had that had been approved by the FDA were on the basis of response only. In our case, it was only 6% of the drugs. Um, the median survival gain in case of United States uh, from previous work was somewhere between 2.1 to 3 months. Uh, in, Canada, in Canada, we saw that it was 3.7 months. Uh, also about the uh, percentage hmm. of the drugs that uh, were considered to have substantial clinical benefit by the ESMO scale. It was 43, 44% uh, in the United States. For us, it was 61%. So yeah, like, um, wow. so we have to, we, have, we just wanted to contextualize our findings. Uh, so it seems that, uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my, my take home message was, having a filter is much better than having no filter at all. But our filter is not yet perfect. It is um, somewhat porous in that we are still letting some low quality cancer drugs uh, uh, to seep in. But um, yeah, these are the rooms for improvement that we highlight in the paper. And uh, these are things that we can work on towards improving. Okay, so with that in mind then, Bashal, You've you've got some really compelling results here. Uh, what happens next? How will this potentially inform policy, let alone selection of treatment drugs by physicians in the treatment of cancer among their patients? Yeah, to, to be honest, because you know, I'm I'm, it's it's 
it's my paper, so I may be very biased, but to be honest, I expected this paper to have a lot more attention in Canada uh, than, than, it, uh, than it has received. Okay. Uh, because I think, I think the findings are, are quite important for our Canadian policy. Uh, it, it may be because, uh, yeah, like nowadays, um, everything is only about COVID, but once uh, COVID settles down and, and we are back to thinking about cancer policy, I think the, this paper will have substantial impact uh, because uh, I think that uh, from this work, uh, A, we need to be able to appreciate uh, the benefits of the system that we have, uh, that uh, we are doing a, a good job uh, with the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, uh, with these uh, findings uh, we saw in the paper, I think it's it's easy to see what are the areas that we can start improving on to have um, to have a better filter. We may never have a perfect filter. We may never have an ideal filter, but uh, there is a big scope for improvement. Uh, so this will have lessons for policymakers, like uh, you know, in terms of thinking about. Uh, uh, the drug approval process and the drug reimbursement process in Canada, uh, because you know uh, it has it has been well known that uh, the cost of cancer drugs is is increasing every year and it's uh, it's going to be unsustainable to keep funding every cancer drug uh, irrespective of uh, the clinical benefit they provide. So how can we 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 find that balance between uh, uh, approving? cancer drugs that really improve outcomes and, and um, saving money from uh, wasting on cancer drugs that absolutely do nothing for the patients except provide them side effects and, are, and actually turn out to be harmful for the patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it will also have lessons for, for uh, physicians in that uh, it will, A, uh, I, I hope it will stimulate physicians to think in terms of uh, the the quality of evidence and the level of clinical benefit for the cancer drugs that we have been using every day in our clinic mm-hmm. uh, and to think that you know sometimes we might uh, go complacent and just think that okay this is a drug that is uh, recommended for the like that is available in our in our in our public system uh, the government is funding for it so this must be a good drug so why not use this drug? What we saw is that uh, in many cases, like um, the drugs may have been available in the market despite having a low quality evidence or no evidence of improving survival at all. So just because a drug is available does not mean we uh, does not mean that the drug is good and does not mean that the that we should be using the drug or the patient should be getting the drug. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be thinking critically about uh, in each scenario whether this drug is actually appropriate for for the particular patient. Uh, so just having a drug um, in the market does not mean it's a good drug. That is that is a key take home, both for the physician and the patient. So the and as a patient, I think um, you know whenever the um, a patient is having a conversation about a new drug with the with the physician, I think there are a couple of things the patient should be thinking about. A and the the first thing is that it has to be approved by the Health Canada. Otherwise, there is no chance of using that cancer drug in Canada. So I think uh, yeah, like that's that, that's a no brainer. If a physician is 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 recommending a certain drug in Canada, that drug is most definitely approved by Health Canada, otherwise yes. you can't even use it. Uh, but the second part is whether or not it has been mm, recommended by, by Carath based on all these 
markers, level uh, like quality of evidence, uh, magnitude of clinical benefit, cost effectiveness, and and various other factors. So, mm-hmm. if it is a drug that is not recommended by Kenneth, then I think the, the the patient will have two things to think about: a how to pay for the drug because that means the drug is not going to be funded by by government money. Mm-hmm. So that means either the patient will need to have private insurance or should pay it out of pocket. And and B, if the patient is paying out of pocket, then the patient should seriously consider is the drug really worth paying out of pocket? Because if it was a good drug, then uh, then the Kenneth would have recommended it. Yes. So there must be some reason why Kenneth is not recommending it. Uh, so that would be an area to explore. Uh, and see, alter- very useful question yeah. for anybody that uh, yeah. is a patient or family yeah. members, but even just down the road. We don't know if yeah, someday exactly. we might end up with uh, having a, a cancer diagnosis. And then one of the first things you're going to think of is, one, am I going to die? Yeah. But two, how, yeah. how are we going to treat this? And uh, can I afford it? So it sounds yeah. like that question of, is this Kareth approved? Yeah. It's a and, good and, thing to and, ask your doctor. Okay. Exactly. And, and as we saw in our paper, like our filter is not perfect, right? So that means uh, several drugs that do not have substantial clinical benefit are also getting approved. So that mm-hmm. means even with such filter, if the drug is not approved, that means like, and, and as I mentioned, 75% of them actually do get approved. So if it's a drug that is not approved, if, it, if it's in that 25% pocket, or um, if, if it's not able to pass through even with a somewhat porous filter, then uh, the patient should really consider maybe that drug is not uh, uh, worth paying from pocket or, or should uh, at least make an informed decision rather than just, uh, you know, making... Uh, uninformed or hasty decisions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and the third point is on the flip side, simply because a drug is available on the market, um, it does not automatically, it may not automatically mean uh, that the drug is going to provide substantial clinical benefits. So to make a reasonable, you know, balance between hope and hype, or, mm-hmm. you know, realistic expectation versus unrealistic ex- expectation, um, it, it will be uh, worthwhile to discuss with the, with the physician about how much clinical benefit can I expect from this drug? I know this is freely available uh, and the government will be paying for this, but even then, what is the level of clinical benefit that I can expect and what are the side effects I'll be having? And then make an informed decision about, okay, this much level of clinical benefit and this level of side effects, that's that's okay for me. Or, or no, I think the side effects feel too much for such a small uh, margin of benefit. So. Mm-hmm. The, the bottom line is uh, any clinical decisions that we're making, it should be informed. So folks, that, this is really compelling stuff. So we've been listening to Bishal Giwali talk about uh, his significant new research study in the American Medical Association Journal of Internal Medicine. And <laughs> what we're hearing here too are practi- practical ideas emergent from this research on how that applies for doctors in the selection of the medicines they prescribe what policies and what things might act or what what approvals might be made for funding uh, public funding of these medications uh, for distribution for par- patients and then of course for patients among the general public like ourselves how and what questions we ought to be asking 
uh, should ever we have to ask these questions. This is really compelling stuff. Vishal, thank you so much for taking the time to share so much with us today about your research and its critical implications on so many levels. We appreciate your time. Oh, th thank you very much for giving this opportunity. And I really appreciate uh, this opportunity to, to talk about the implications of our work with, uh, with a broader audience. And, and once again, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my co-authors. They have, they have really done a great so job. So can we hear about your co-authors very quickly before we sign off? Uh, yeah, the first uh, author is Daniel mm -hmm. Mays. Uh, he's an internal medicine resident uh, in University of Calgary. The second author is Krishna Jene from University of yep. British Columbia. And the third author is Tim Chisamo, who is also our statistician. He's, he's here from All Ontario. All right. Well, thank you very much. And one last thing, where do we find the article? Uh, yeah, the article has been published online in Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, Internal Medicine. Uh, and it was published online on February 22nd. Thank you very much, Dr. Vishal Giwali, again, for joining us here on Campus Beat. We look forward to your next article. Thank you very much, Dinah. Uh, I hope uh, we'll have these opportunities more often. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.